I tried cigarettes at an eighth grade sleepover. Um, and we went out into the woods across the, across the street from the house and it was dark. You know, we went out like 11 PM and we're all huddled around and everybody's got their cigarette. And I went and put the cigarette in my mouth and had the lighter going. They were like, just, you just inhale, you inhale. And so I was like, okay. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to get it lit. And I inhaled yeah. and then all this tobacco went straight down my throat. And I had, uh, I had my mouth on the on the wrong end of the cigarette, and I was trying to light <laughs> the filter. <laughs> and so that was that's awesome. You know, that went down in the books. <laughs> whatever hello everyone welcome to another episode of growing up christian i'm sam i'm casey and we both just together uh watched this awesome jason aldean video uh for try that in a small town that everybody is talking about and my god uh after reading the twitter discourse about it i was certainly expecting something a little bit more on the nose uh tbh uh I don't know. Uh, it was uh, th- a really, really, really stupid music. <laughs> I mean, fuck, man. That is lame as hell. I can't even. It's un- like. I'm a little bit at a loss for words for just like how fucking lame it is. Uh, it's just like a bunch of footage of protests that happened three years ago, bitch. Like maybe be a little bit more a little bit more current i guess uh but what i don't know man what was your initial reaction to it uh, what was your yeah what was your initial reaction to that it just it just rings it, it's got the same ring to it as somebody like telling you about how they would like s- <laughs> okay just like it's 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 like a, a music video from a guy that's telling you how he would like grab the gun from somebody who was trying to mug him. Yeah. 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 It's that's what it is. <laughs> it's just that set to music. It's <laughs> like exactly what it is, dude. Dude, Have you seen the videos of that guy from Detroit? He's like a black dude with a mustache, kind of a thick boy. And he's does self-defense videos. Like he <laughs> has like a, a studio and stuff, but no. he just does like on all the Joe life. Oh, yeah. He's on there all the time, okay. actually. Yeah, yeah. And I probably have seen some of his stuff. It'll be like, you know, here's what to do if somebody's, you know, got an, an AR-15 pointed at your chest in point blank range. And he's just like, you know, they, they always have somebody who's who might as well just be like one of those ballistic dummies holding the <laughs> gun. And he's just like, you know, like snaps his hands around real fast. And all of a sudden, like he has the AR-15 because the person didn't try to hold on to it yeah. or do anything <laughs> yeah it's it's just the dumbest thing it's like that is uh apparently that's jason aldean so the first the first thing i'm not gonna re- say who wrote this uh but the first thing i heard or read about this at all was um 
it was a post on Instagram and it's a picture of him in his cowboy hat looking like a, a real cowboy, like a bona fide cowboy. And um, it says, if you told me a guy who looks like this would write a pro lynching song and then pretend like he was being victimized, I would have said, yeah, that sounds about white. Um, oh, kill me. So I'm. Why is this the two extremes yeah, that we're stuck? I between? know, dude. Uh, if anything, <laughs> if there's anything that's like reinforced my belief that we just don't deserve to fucking live here anymore, it's this. Uh, because so I read that and I'm like, then I read the comments and people are like, what are you talking? Some people are like, what are you talking about? It's like libtards like you, blah blah blah, and. It's not what this is. And then the responses are like, yeah, I'd expect someone like you to say something like that. And then they comment on their like profile picture or something stupid. And it's just like this back and forth of like, obviously it's super racist. It's all about the proud boys. And then, so then I see a post. The reason I'd even checked this song out 10 minutes ago before we even hit record uh, was because then I saw a post, I think it was on uh oh no it was from actually the same guy uh that i just read that one from and it says uh make sure uh jason that's a picture of a rolling stone article it says jason aldean addresses small town backlash at a cincinnati show quote unquote cancel culture is a thing and uh the caption that this guy writes is make sure you send your thoughts and prayers to jason aldean today he's having a tough time he really misses the good old days when white people could say any racist thing they want without facing any consequences. So look, I know there's a lot of people who have a lot of feelings about the protests and shit uh, that happened during the pandemic, all the BLM protests, I'm shit out of control. Depending on who you ask, they'll blame different people. Uh, It's whatever people are responsible for their individual actions. Uh, My personal belief on the matter, not that it fucking matters is, um, that as a whole, not none of the groups uh, that were that were organizing were calling for anything violent. Uh, but violence erupts in situations like that. Of course, it does. Um, I think it's important for groups to not call for it at like a large scale level. If a few people want to fuck up a Best Buy, I'm not losing any sleep over it. But that's just again my personal yeah. opinion. Maybe check and see if any of them work for the FBI, though. Yeah, exactly. Because then, you know, you do find cool shit like that happening. Uh, but either way, I'm like, it, so Jason, I'll do me like cancel culture is a thing, blah, blah, blah. Also, fuck you. You're a bitch because I cancel culture, if that's what he wants to call it, got him um, 15 million views on his video in less than a week and in, in a week. Um, or I should say just over a week. Not to mention all the other people who have like reposted it. So he's getting ridiculous levels of publicity for this. It's probably one of his most successful songs financially, or at least when it comes to monetizing it based on plays and views between streaming services and YouTube. Uh, and it's like, so cancel culture is not a thing. Uh, it's actually just hilarious that, you know, this is the world we live in, right? If you have a problem with something and you try to make it known, you basically, it's called adding fuel to the fire, fanning the flames, whatever you want, whatever way you want to cut it. Like, uh, the backlash has made this a bigger success. Uh, and it's just all it does is create like all you do is just like pull people from either side and you stoke the flames to the point where like it's getting so much discourse on the Internet of people who are obviously not going to listen to anyone from the other side. Uh, but I'll be honest, uh, 
other than just being a ridiculously stupid music video showing just news footage from BLM protests, uh, it's not as racist as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> That's for sure. Dude, you know what it is? He, it, this is the uh, this is the white Christian equivalent of giving Baphomet a lap dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah, what hey, me though I, is, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, like I, I don't know. I just the 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 reaction to like turn everything into, dude. This is just the culture that a lot of people from the Midwest, small town, rural America live in. It's, it's not, I don't know. You know, it's, I mean, every, anybody can make an argument that something's racist and stuff, I guess nowadays, but like, I know these people, I'm around a lot of them. They're shocked by crime. They're shocked by footage of riots and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just, it's so far outside of their, cultural wheelhouse that like that's what they're reacting to this is not like calling this like a he's calling for lynchings and stuff no he he's literally he's the guy that like he he lays around thinking about like how he would wrestle a knife from someone that tried to stick him up in an alley like i guarantee you that he spends an exorbitant amount of time thinking about that and and most of the people who are like nodding along in agreement and think that this song is the coolest and are now going to like, you know, uh, ceremonially burn CMT merchandise yeah. <laughs> because they cut the video and stuff. They're the same. That is just what this is. Like, it's just, they're reacting to something that's completely outside of their, their, their spectrum of normal. And it's just a dumb reaction. That's just what it is. I mean, it's, it's, Turning it into like some sort of like uh, Ku Klux Klan, you know, dog whistle or something. It's just. Yeah. And of course, I know we're outing ourselves as racist right now. I get that. But I guess I'm not entirely sure. I watched it twice. Um, if I miss something, shoot us a message. I'm I not, hope it's stuck in your head. I, like, I, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's honestly not. Uh, it's because it's not catchy enough. It's a fucking shit ass song. This no, song it like, doesn't rhyme. It doesn't have like a very discernible melody. Like, it's just no, a no. sucky song. It's, it's just bad. Uh, but I don't see where like the pro lynching narrative came from that people are talking about. Um, I get the I get that people will say like having this feeling like well that's not everything they were about so just having the belief that like the riots were all about carjackings and robbing liquor stores and stomping on flags and burning it and spitting on cops it's like i mean i would argue that those things are equally you know american given you know the world we live in i think it's pretty, <laughs> i think all that shit has been happening for a very long time including small towns where so i mean it is important that it doesn't sound like um i don't want to come off as uh a Jason Aldean apologist because he's a small town sycophant and he fucking sucks. Like, yeah. Cause he's like, it's, it, I mean, that's it. It's like sucker punched on the sidewalk, carjacking old lady at a red light, pull a gun on a liquor store owner. You think that's cool to act like a fool. It's like, dude, you sound like you sound like, uh, like a white teacher pandering to a group of like black youths at like trying to do like cool rhymes and shit. Like it's, it's not fun to listen to his his rhyme schemes here, but uh, I also think it's funny, like this feeling of like try that in a small town. It's like, 
dude, I've been through some of these small towns and a lot of them are meth capitals of the world. Like, I don't know where you get off thinking. That's that. what's, <laughs> that's that's what's like so, so funny, perfect. dude, is like, because it's just, it's crime in general that they're reacting to and they're using like riot footage for the video or whatever. But like, there's a lot of talk about that here, you know? And dude, people are stealing so much stuff from stores here it's it's not like i mean obviously there's like portland and seattle which i mean come on they're it's it's pretty nuts the videos that come out of there but it got rowdy it got rowdy there (laughs) dude it's like that stuff is happening everywhere all the time it's happening everywhere if you own a liquor store you probably have been robbed like that's the first thing people rob when they think about robbing something isn't it A, a liquor store yeah, I it's guess I'm, I was I guess I've really watered this down to thinking about shoplifting. But but, uh, uh, but still, I mean, <laughs> it's not it's, it's not like these things aren't happening across the country all the time everywhere. You know what it is? You know what forces you know, what causes pe- not, I shouldn't say force, but what causes people to to rob liquor stores or to pull a gun on the like, no one's just pulling a gun on the owner of a liquor store without like walking away with something. It's not they, he acts like it's just like frivolous acts of violence for the sake of it and it's not. Like there's opportunists in in every sort of protest that are just going to be like now's a perfect time to walk yeah. away with a grocery cart full of shit. Of course, that's collateral damage. Like whatever. I mean, I'd rather like, you know, I'd prefer something like that than my favorite TV shows to not be happening because of the strike. That's just a personal opinion, though. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just funny. Yeah. It's like this it sick just, of this, the small the town sucks. Nonsense. It sucks. It's dumb. And it's like, it's this like, you know, screw you. I know blah, blah, blah. It's and it's coming from this guy. Like we were just looking at uh, some stuff about Jason Aldean. Oh my God, dude. And he's from like rural Georgia and stuff like that. But just, okay, listen to these numbers. This is a guy that's like, like Mr. Small Town America and concerned about crime, you know, and farmers helping each other, whatever, you know, like the everything in there. But it says in 2015, Forbes estimated Aldine's income at $43.5 million. Aldine was the seventh highest earning country musician, making about $32.5 million in 2017. In 2017, Aldine was on Forbes Celebrity 100 list, being ranked at 98. Aldine became the sixth artist to receive the ACM Dick Clark Artist of the Decade Award in 2019. The award is given to artists who are consistently on top of the charts over the span of the decade. And he can single-handedly pull his entire small town out of poverty. <laughs> <laughs> so fuck you, Jason Aldine. <laughs> he could like he could like uh, you know like lift Southern Georgia out of uh, <laughs> the the despair that they're in. I think Dude, I uh, he goes for like, if there is one like benefit of the doubt that you can give the guy, you know, he was he was the guy at the uh, the Vegas shooting. Like, yeah, he was that the is one crazy playing at the shooting. He might be a little sensitive to uh, to violence. Some might say he would be more sensitive to, you know, large scale mass shootings and gun violence. But mm. I don't know, you know burning a car i guess maybe that's a triggering uh thing for him to see as well who knows he's an uh, idiot <laughs> well and what's funny is like uh 
And it's like the, one of the lines is full of good old boys raised up right. And that that one got under my skin a little bit because it's like like when I think of small town, there's plenty of like I, I knew a lot of, when I was uh, living in Virginia, I knew a lot of small town boys and they would say things like that. Like my mama raised me right. And it's like, dude, you asked everybody if they wanted to go fuck a possum with you last week. Like, <laughs> you want to go out back and fuck the, fuck the garbage possum? The one that lives in the trash can? You're like, dude, why are you? No, that's, we used to do that all the time back in my small town. And you're like, all right, bud. I mean, that's not, I mean, that's just you, I guess. But so I technically mean, you not losing your purity if it's a possum. Right. It's uh, it has to be, it has to be a human orifice. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm just saying I've, I've been around, you know, uh, I haven't been around a lot. Uh, you know, I'm still a mostly suburban white kid, but I've, I feel like I've met enough people to know that that sentiment of Southern of uh, not Southern, but small town. I did do a Southern accent for small town. So apologies to all of our Southern friends. Um, but I've just met enough people where it doesn't matter what size town you're from. You're probably a piece of shit too. <laughs> so join the club. It's open roster <laughs> on that. Uh, let's go ahead and, uh, what introduce our guest sounds about right do you have any last words on this or are you good no i just think that ridicule is like the best response to uh to this kind of thing yeah rather than like you know an urgent call for like uh anything i, just I don't know fuck up and like yeah or just let him out. squall off on his own and and don't like make up uh, what did what did you say? Fifteen million views. Yeah, it certainly like pumped it into like YouTube's most uh, pop. It's like you can't. I can't go on a fucking social media site without everyone screaming at me about this. So I watched it, and he got paid. So that's how this stuff works. Um, that's the world we live in. If you don't like it, stop. I don't know. I, I get it. Silence is violence. So you got to say something. Otherwise, Jason Aldean will single-handedly murder thousands and thousands of people. It's a, we live in a dangerous, dangerous world, but so speak your truth, speak up, whatever it is you got to do helps you sleep at night and gets him paid, baby. Yeah. Smash that dislike button and <laughs> share. Uh, all right. Our guest, I'm super excited, uh, excited to, I was pumped to have him on, uh, Joe Mustin. Uh, he uh, was a drummer and screamer for one of the most beloved bands in hardcore, post-hardcore history, incidentally also known as Beloved. Uh, he also uh, was a vocalist in a hardcore band called Advent, um, which, as he gets into a little bit towards the end here, they got some they get the wheels turning again, uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. But uh, I've been a huge Beloved fan for 17, 18 years. I was a little, uh, maybe a little late to the game on them, but uh, I was, I remember the day I bought their album in Best Buy uh, when I was a junior in high school, the summer after my junior year in high school. And goddamn, I still listen to that album several times a year. It's, it's incredible. So um, uh, Joe is a absolutely wonderful person to talk to. Uh, I, had a feeling he would be great just based on his demeanor uh, following on social media. He just seemed like a super nice guy and all of my 
uh, feelings were confirmed. He's an incredibly nice person. He was so fun to talk to. Uh, I think what was kind of neat is we, we spent a lot of time talking with people who have left Christianity and uh, big surprise to me. He's a, he's currently a pastor and we had some awesome conversations and he's a wonderful person. And I'm glad that people like him are still involved in churches uh, and, and helping to lead some people because he really is a fantastic guy. So uh, I hope you all enjoy our conversation with Joe Mustin as much as we did. Hey everybody, we are back with our guest, Joe Mustin. Joe, what is up? Yo! <laughs> hey! Hey Dude, guys! <laughs> very excited to have you here. Um, when we have people on who do things that I like, I like to blow a little smoke up their ass before we even get started. So <laughs> I'm going to okay. do that, and it sometimes makes people uncomfortable. Are you one of those people who's good at taking compliments, or is it awkward for you? Ah, well, I know, which, I know exactly what kind you are. Um, <laughs> all right. So your uh, the beloved hometown reunion show, me and my buddy made the, uh, the 15, 16 hour drive down to North Carolina for that because I couldn't miss it. And I also couldn't afford Furnace Fest. So I did a uh, wow. drive to North Carolina instead. And it was like one of those Grateful Dead tours, but yeah. there was he, they sucked less gas out of balloons, you know. <laughs> siphoned <laughs> siphoned less gas out of fewer tanks, you mean. Um, <laughs> but um one it was just incredible. It was also it was cool because so I went to college uh not too far from there in in Lynchburg, Virginia, and so I ran into people I hadn't seen in 10 years, which was automatically a blast. Um, people I hadn't even talked to in 10 years. But um, one of the things that stuck out to me, man, is just I, I've never been to a show where the people playing it just seemed so fucking excited to be there uh, and to be doing it. Um, you, I just remember you sticking around for a while talking to anybody that wanted to talk. And it seemed like you yeah. just loved that night for what it was, uh, the two nights that you had. Um so I thought that was fucking cool, man. You don't see that every day. Uh, so it was one of the more, one of the best show experiences for me, just because I don't, I don't think I've ever um, been to maybe a reunion tour here or there or show, but not for uh, an album that I listened to almost twenty years ago. So that was awesome. <laughs> wow, yeah, man, those nights were so special, and it was so fun to get to meet people from all over you know, the country and uh, that listen to my music. That's so weird. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I feel like what's strange um, or must feel strange. I'll let you explain. Um, is that like that failure on has a huge impact on so many of uh, so many of the budding hardcore kids 20 years ago. Right. So, but like, music sharing wasn't a thing when you guys started doing that. Uh, Spotify wasn't a thing. Uh, there has to be some level of just like at some point after you guys weren't a band anymore, you realized how much that album mattered to people. And it probably didn't feel this quite like it had the impact it did when you were in the middle of it. Is that safe to say? What do you, what are your thoughts there? Oh yeah. That's, that's very fair. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to, um, lose sight in the moment of exactly what's being 
like the ground that's being tilled and everything that's growing because of the work that you're doing. And then you, you step, step out a few years later and you look back and you see, you know, uh, what was planted there and the way that people, you know, come and enjoy what you made. And, um, you know, we can, I could tell by, you know, our first couple advent shows and tours and stuff, all anybody wanted to talk to us about, they're like, great show. Oh, dude, seriously, failure on. And it's like, and I'm like, man, that's so cool. But I'm here to play advent shows. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the other guys in the band, the other guys in the band are getting ignored. And me and Johnny and Matt have, are having to have conversations about Beloved. And the two young guys are just like, dude, this sucks, man. <laughs> Nobody even knows we're in the band. <laughs> They're like getting them to hold the phone to take, you know, uh, hold the camera to take pictures of us. You know, it's, it's like, uh, it's definitely one of those things where you're just like, whoa, that was, that must have been something cool. I don't know. It must have been special. They were stuck loading the trailer while you guys had all the conversations. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you might have to take that part off the podcast because the guys now even say that with me. They're like, dude, when are you going to help us load? I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm talking I'm a man of the people. <laughs> have you guys ever seen that clip? It's like it was like a radio interview. I, I it almost want to think it was like an NPR thing, but you know Billy Bob Thornton's in like a bluegrass band, and <laughs> there's this NPR interview where they're talking to him, and the host, I guess, was told not to mention Billy Bob Thornton's like acting career. He's like, oh, I'm just whoa. here to talk about bluegrass. <laughs> and, <laughs> but oh the God. interviewer says something about it, and he's just he's furious and he's just like a snotty little prick the rest of the interview and it's so awkward dude that feels more like an snl sketch than an actual it's it's hard to believe it's real but yeah (laughs) similar sort of vibes (laughs) dude i used to do like what kids at shows would do to me i would do that to bands like further seems forever when we played shows with them and then eventually toured with them as beloved Johnny and I did not stop talking to them about strong arm to the point where I think they were like, <laughs> they either had to love us or hate us at that point. Cause, but you know, they, they were really nice and eventually became our older brothers, you know, that kind of thing. And, but we stayed on them. We stayed on them and punished them into the <laughs> dirt about, you know, their, their previous band. It was a fraction of the size of, you know, further. So, like you, you, Whatever. you don't know how good your art is until you regret it. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's good. I like that. Oh, man, dude. Uh, so I was, uh, I was listening to a podcast that you did an interview with. Um, kind of a music podcast, sort of like heavy music focused earlier mm-hmm. in the today and. Uh, I, I guess I didn't realize that you were a pastor. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. That's oh wow, that's what you currently do, huh? Yeah, that's what I'm currently doing. <laughs> it, that's crazy. I didn't know that either. I mean, I think, it's, I think in the podcast you had like just recently stopped being a pastor. That's why I, I oh yeah paused there. I'm like, oh, did I get my facts yeah. right here? So no, no, 2021, uh, no, 2022. I, I did a sidestep to try and 
go uh, cut grass for a living. And that just didn't it, – it's awesome. The guy that I was working with is a really good friend of mine. And the work just kicks your butt, dude. It just wears you out. And I was like, man, it's it's not easy starting at 40 in the landscaping in the <laughs> landscaping world. And, uh, you know, that coupled with just, you know, kind of your heart's just in a different place. And I just ended up doing a, you know, a test, test run, little little lap there and came back on the, on the track. So I'm back at the church. All right. Do you get do you get sunburned right so year. bad that like your tattoos blistered? Oh, I I mean I was, dude, I had yeah I was I was tan, and I'm a white I'm I'm a white kid man I'm like a <laughs> I like like a little milky milky white kid man so I but I was tan last year yeah, but I lost a little bit of that now I look like a crab again so. <laughs> well, the tattoos help cover up a lot of that. Uh, don't worry. Um, all right. So obviously we're a little on the nose with the podcast title growing up Christian. So I will, you've talked at length. I've heard, um, here and I've heard stuff here and there about kind of the whole history of beloved, what kind of brought everything yeah. together. So we'll touch on that a little bit, but, um, we're really, you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. You've had plenty of those conversations. So, um, but as far as like how you grew up, uh, in, in kind of, in between all the music ventures uh, interested in like where life's taken you and uh, especially like, you know, what brings you to be like how you got into being a pastor and whether like how your faith has um, evolved, shifted over the years and things like that. So why don't you just kind of give us like a quick snapshot of like your, like where you grew up. Maybe it varies from place to place, but kind of where you grew up and the type of family you grew up in. Yeah. So I grew up in the, the town that I'm currently sitting in, I grew up about two miles down the road, take a right, take another right. You're at my old house. No and, way. uh, yeah, so I'm still here after all these years. Is um, that because you <laughs> like the town or is that because you don't want to tell new neighbors that you're a sex offender? <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, uh, <laughs> not option B. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just I meet a new person. Yeah, that's, that's a question. That's really that awesome. I, I love this podcast already, man. This is like, <laughs> this is so different from. <laughs> um, what was the okay? Yeah, I grew up. In, <laughs> you're you're worried about your, the rest of your career and your future now. so so i'm i'm uh i grew up in this town it's called kernersville north carolina it's positioned in between two bigger cities winston-salem and greensboro they're not big cities big er i emphasis on er um it's like a little tobacco town you know all of my family's here um and i grew up going to church i was just a little christian kid you know Um, my parents were pretty faithful to the church, you know, 50 Sundays a year, pretty much we were, we were there and it's a, it's an assembly of God church. So it's not the more charismatic kind, right? It it is, it is. It's a, you know, it's in the Pentecostal vein of, uh, you know, denominations and, um, grew up going to that church. 
you know, I was a Sunday goer until probably middle school when I started playing the drums and getting interested in music and meeting kids. And I met some kids in the youth group that were into punk and hardcore and um, they were way further along than I was. And I was just kind of new to it. I just, I liked Pantera. I liked the Pantera CD that my brother had. And they were like, nah, that's cool. But let, let's show you some, you know, let's show you some real stuff. And so I went to their house. They were in the youth group, went, you know, from left on a Sunday. And we had like a little band practice. But up in Josh and Isaac's room, they were showing me ska CDs and hardcore CDs and punk. And uh, they showed me Strong Arm and Living Sacrifice and Earth Crisis and Strife and, you know, some Christian bands, some not Christian bands. And Josh had band posters all over his walls. Like it looked like, you know, a venue, you know, it, it just, I thought they were the coolest people in the world. And they honestly were, they were doing something that no one else in our town was doing. And uh, yeah. So I kind of got, got more involved in church just because I was finding friends there. And, mm -hmm. you know, I played the drums and, you know, the youth pastor finds out you play drums and he invites you to be on the youth worship team. And um, <clears throat> so I started doing that, play, you know, playing terrible, terrible songs for the youth group. <laughs> the, all those, at that time, they were really late 80s worship songs, but we're playing them in the late 90s because, you know, church is about 10 years behind at that point on anything Always. cultural, music. And um, so... Uh, got really involved there and then had, you know, I always had a love for, you know, God and, and, uh, Jesus and was always so interested in all of that. And, you know, my parents were faithful to one another, faithful to the church. My mom really is, my mom and dad were both people of, you know, good character. And so I had a pretty normal upbringing, an older brother, younger sister five years and five years, five years older, five years younger. Um, pretty much, I mean, like a your run-of-the-mill middle-class family. You know, my dad came home from <clears throat> the service in the Vietnam era, war era, just kind of climbed his way up, starting at the bottom and climbed his way up. And um, really there was nothing, there was not a lot of challenges in life other than like, you know, internal things that we all deal with, you know. Like the girl um, you like doesn't like you back, stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's that's, um, that's youth group. That was my youth group experience in a nutshell. Yeah. Mom and dad want you to do your homework. You don't want to do it. You know that kind <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's and then here comes twelfth grade, and then I had you know somewhat of a, a you know I had a, I had a real spiritual experience and. From there, it was like, um, you know, it just one step at a time, you know, getting older and um, in a way becoming more faithful to the faith itself, you know, becoming adhering more to that and um, trying to follow God closer and also, you know, um, getting more active with my band. Um, graduate high school and take off, you know? 
So do um, when you so you mentioned a spiritual experience. I know for some people it's like they don't like to really try to put words to that. So if you don't feel like it, that's fine. Um, but yeah. is there? Do you what what if you don't mind talking about what did that experience look like and how did that impact you? <clears throat> you know, so it's a it's an assembly of God church. So if y'all have any um any knowledge of that, it's going to be different than like youth group on a Wednesday night at, you know, First Baptist Church of Kernersville. It, it's going to look a little different. But Which is, nor- a, that uh, would normally be after your youth pastor talks to you about uh, how you need to repent for looking at porn. That's when you rededicate your life to Christ for the 13th time. And that, that that's a lot of, if you're in a more conservative yeah, experience. That's the Baptist yeah, route. Yeah. That's the Baptist <laughs> yeah. come to Jesus yes. moment there. <laughs> so I was... I was not a cool kid at school, but I, I feel like I had, I had tons of friends who were Christians and tons of friends who were not. And so I was always kind of the kid in the middle of the lunch table, you know, like kind of bringing the two, the two together. I feel like that's kind of been like my life thing. Um, and bridge builder. Yeah, I guess that's a, that's a good way of, uh, for someone like me who is um, challenged <laughs> to come up with good, good, strong words there. Bridge builder. I like that. Bridge builder. That's my new youth group name. Bridge builders. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, it could be a band name too, whenever you decide. It's, uh, it's for sure a band if name. You want to, yeah. Yeah. If you want to, um, well, I guess we'd have to hearken back to our pre-recording conversation of, not we'll, great band we'll names that could um, we'll they're they're a crab core band from Davenport, yeah. Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crab core. Oh man. Wow. Okay, so twelfth grade, you know, I was going to youth group and I enjoyed it, but you know, there's always that part of you that's kinda like, Hey, this is kinda stupid. You know, like I like it, but I kinda hate it. And that's kind of where I was mentally. And uh, I was at a, it was the goofiest thing. And I always, I've said it the same way for, you know, 24 years, 20, 23, 24 years. Like I felt really goofy being a part of this, but I went to, uh, you know, the, the North Carolina assembly of God youth convention that was actually hosted at our church. I go to a rather large church. You know, I go to one of the big, the biggins in town and um, it was the, the youth convention and I was up in the balcony by myself so that no one could see me. And it was just one of those moments where it's like, you know, the guy on stage is like, all right, all right, students. I just feel like everyone in here needs to raise their hands and just start singing this song with me. You know, like God's about to do something. And, uh. I just was like, okay, I'll do it. And so I did it. And it was like a get, it was like a moment of getting over my own, um, maybe a moment of where you just kind of put your pride down for a second. Um, and you just step into something that's really not, you don't feel like is you. And then you find out, um, there's a place for you there. And I think God, I, I honestly believe that God touched 
my whole being in that moment with something that I was so uncomfortable with. I was not like a, you know, a hand raiser kind of kid. It just was not, was not me. And, um, you know, I, I did that and, you know, I was pretty much about five minutes later, I was on the floor just kind of like crying, not like rolling around and barking like a dog or anything. I was, (laughs) (laughs) I was just on the floor kind of weeping and, I don't even know how to describe it. I just kind of got up and went home. And, you know, your mom's like, how was it? And you're like, oh, it was cool. I, yeah, it was crazy. And the next morning, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to open up the Bible. We were on our way to go visit my granny uh, up in Virginia and not far from Lynchburg. And I was like, I just want to open up my Bible and started reading. And dude, it just, something, something had changed literally overnight in an instant, in a moment. I don't know how to tell you. I don't have the words for it other than, you know, like, I think the Holy Spirit, you know, touched my life. And I I had faith that that's what happened. And as dumb as it may sound, like that Bible came to life and then it just incrementally grew. It grew fast in my heart. Something changed. Wow. And that's, that I mean, that's it. Like, neat. So you, you'll still pinpoint that as kind of like the start of your trajectory. I I tell people, man, I told, I don't know if you guys heard, there's a, there a guy in a, in a uh, metalcore band that just passed away, the singer of Remembering Never. Uh, just passed away. I told him the same story back in 2003. He laughed. He was like, ah, you're crazy, man. You, you're stupid, dude. And I was like, no, nah, I'm serious, man. And, and then then we went and, you know, pretended to hate each other at the hardcore show. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so, I think that's the funny thing. About I tell that same story to everybody. Is like with spiritual experiences, it is often simple. It is hard to explain. Um and even in, so even for me having yeah, a few that I would still look back on and say that they were distinctly spiritual experiences, um, despite like shifts in beliefs, um, I still look at those as pivotal, even if I'd like pick new vocabulary to describe them in a way that works for me. But it's, I mean, it's like, it's goofy stuff sometimes. Like, I mean, I've, I've, I'll remember just driving home from work one day hearing a song and heard that song a million times and something like, I don't know, right place, right time, right feeling. But I just like, I listened to a song on repeat uh, for the 45 minutes I was in the car and pretty much cried the whole entire way home for like 45 minutes. I don't, I don't really know what that was, uh, but it was just like, it something felt different after that uh in a lot of ways so it's like it's they are hard to describe um and what if i like whenever you do try to describe them it sounds really simplistic but i think that's kind of what's <laughs> neat about them i think that is what's neat about them it's not they don't like almost the lack of extravagance uh for something to impact you in such a deep way is what makes it particularly mm-hmm. meaningful 
I've raised my hands up to reach for I've I've done this motion a billion times in my life. And something about that one time changed everything, dude. I'm telling you what? The green cup? Okay, (laughs) bam. Uh, well, and next time you grab the red cup, about that one your life time. will change. <laughs> it's pattern interruption. Yeah. Yeah. What? Okay. So I don't, I don't feel like I've <laughs> ever, I never had one of those moments, you know? And yeah. uh, I've always thought about, I'm not trying to compare these, which would be kind of rude. I'm just saying like, I've always thought about like, you know, you, you meet people and you start talking about like ghosts and there's always somebody that's like seen a ghost, you know, in the, in the crowd. And I always thought like, I feel like if I saw a ghost, my brain would just like every 20 minutes away from that experience that I got, my brain would be talking me out of the significance of that against my will. I would want to keep that like experience. I, I would relish like some sort of supernatural or like impactful thing like that and i feel like my brain would be like you know you were probably just uh it was probably just indigestion it was gas i don't know what i mean is there (laughs) when you when you have something like that that's like a foundational experience that really like changed your life and stuff uh like a, a touchstone moment do you feel an anxiety around like, is there like an anxiety around like keeping that the way it felt like trying to recall the way that felt when it happened? Do you, do you find yourself like trying to achieve that state again and relive it? I mean, what dude, that's such a good thought. And a good question because I think over the last 23, I mean, I was 17 and I'm 41 now. Help me. What is that? 24 years? That's 24 years. Yes, 24. Yeah, 24 years. I've had that exact thought run through my head. Like, am I ever going to feel that again am i ever going to be that young zealous you know teenager who wasn't afraid to go like hey you mind if we talk about our lord and savior jesus christ and then you know to er to every i could i did that all it caused that that moment caused me to live in that for two plus years of just never putting it down i couldn't go to sleep without thinking about the next person that i wanted to tell about jesus and then you know, you, time just time just has a way of like it doesn't erode anything, um, but it changes it. But then you have those moments where you go, "Am I ever going to feel like that again?" I think so many people in the church and Christianity, um, in love, in relationships, they wonder if they're ever going to feel like they did the first time. Like they did the first time they saw that person. Like they did the first time they thought they heard God speak to them. Like they did the first time he did speak to them. Like the first time he touched their life. Like the first time they said the prayer. Like, um, But I I cannot remember the name of the book, but 
Um, it's a very old, I mean, it's like a, it's a three, two to 300 year old book. I know that's a big difference, <laughs> 200 or 300 years, somewhere in the middle. Uh, this French um, Jesuit uh, is talking about idolizing those moments and making those moments sacred, so sacred that everything after that seems to, um, you know, it just lacks, it's lackluster. And, and um, he's reminding someone in a letter to not let those those first moments to cause the moments that we live in now to lose their significance. Yeah. And so, but dude, I, I, that's so, that's something that I've, that I've gone back and forth with just internally for so, so many years. So often I ask myself those kind of questions, you know, so, but I don't know how to answer that for myself. Um, but man, I've Is grown the person that I am today the person that I am today is so is is so different from that seventeen year old kid. Sure, I was passionate about certain things, um, and I'm just and I'm still passionate about those. But now I have some type of greater understanding. My obedience, the obedience level in my life that I that I have um, ascribed myself to live into, is on another level from where I was twenty four years ago. But it should be if I'm still following Christ. So, um, but man, I, I cherish that moment and I, I thank God for that moment, you know, but I feel exactly what you're, is that something that you have actually, that, that you thought of or struggled with or, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, in, in different and lesser situations, I feel that way about concerts, you know, like mm -hmm. everybody looks back. I remember like the first really impactful concert that I went to is like the first like metalcore show that I went to. It was like Haste the Day was the headliner. And I mm -hmm. forget who is even on the rest of it. It dies today and some other bands. But yeah, that, like that set the course for my identity for like, you know, yes, I don't sir. know. I mean maybe still to some extent today. Like I still love that music. It's still like, and I've been to a million concerts since then. And there's a lot of times where like, I feel, I don't know. It's weird. It's like, uh, you ever, you ever go somewhere, you're doing something like that where you're like, this is a fun thing that I'm doing. I should be having fun, but I'm not. I, I feel guilty that I'm not having fun. I feel disappointed that I'm not enjoying this more. I don't know how to like snap out of it, but I just, I don't really care about this right now. And this is something I've been looking forward to for, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's super. Yeah. Depressing. Here, I, I got a song for it. Doom and gloom coming soon. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, I hate that feeling and and it's such a less yeah. significant thing than like oh this was a spiritual turning point in my life you know i feel like there's yeah. similarity yeah. though to what um has been talked about in the sense that like people i mean in the same i mean it's a different path it's part of your you know it's more of your identity or um i mean i guess it for some people it's as much of their identity as their as someone else's faith but like that's that's that same feeling that is chasing like 
chasing the same feeling. I, I had this feeling at this concert, therefore I'm going to like, and that made me feel on top of the world. That gave me what I needed uh, at the time that I needed it. So you go and then when you don't have it, there is that there's like a disappointment. And I, I think Joe, what you said is um, comparing to relationships is like really spot on um, in that, like when you first start, like when you first fall in love with somebody, it's like all feelings. Um, but like, I mean, I've been married for 14 years. Um, sounds Sick. like, I mean, you've been, you've been married for how long? Since 2004. So okay. 19, 19 yeah. years this year. It's like, yeah, get to this. You get to a point in life where you're like, you're on the same page. You have the same mission. You still love each other, but it's not like, if you spent your entire fucking marriage chasing that feeling every day, you'd be, that's probably why people end up getting divorced so quickly. So frequently. probably the only reason it's like they find those feelings somewhere else. So they chase those feelings. And, um, I, I think for me too, like, uh, I found charismatic Christianity at Liberty university and I chased it. I chased every week. I was like hoping to mm -hmm. have that same feeling. And I, I started to like, feel like mm -hmm. a real burnout, uh, simply because like, yeah, I felt manufactured or forced. I felt like a fraud by yeah. trying to have the same feelings that everyone else was. Um, it kind of fucked me up a little bit uh, to the point where like I felt, uh, and before I kind of like intellectually, I, that sounds uh, kind of like uh, a negative way to say it, but like uh, not, I was going to say intellectually drifted away from it, but not to say that you can't intellectually drift towards it either. It's just, <laughs> I, I, um, Cause you can, you can, uh, so not trying to make it sound like a slight, but, um, he's, he's an academic. <laughs> I, I felt like I was, I, I felt pulled away from it and I couldn't engage on an authentic level. Uh, and I eventually found that again and was able to re-engage, um, on an authentic level when I gave up on that, like dream of just like feeling that all the time because uh you know i our uh, our bodies are not designed to maintain that level of heightened emotional state all the time uh there's more yeah. to life than that so i think your comparison to it as far as relationships goes makes probably the most sense and it's i think it's pretty good parallel here's the thing is that i believe that it is ultimately it is relationship and so that's what it's meant to be and so I think it's the easiest comparison that we that we can make. So or that I could yeah. I could make in the moment. Um, but no, nah, man, I, I I feel you. Yeah, I do that. I've never had anybody ask me that before. That's so cool. I'm very good at this. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he goes. I don't want to be rude, even though I just asked if you're uh, a registered sex offender, but. Are you sure about those feelings you have? <laughs> Try to maintain a level of decorum. You know? Oh man, that's funny. <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, I'm, dude. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you this book. I'm gonna figure out what the name of it. All I have to do is go back about five or six years in Amazon order history, and <laughs> that's a lot of orders and, uh, for most people. I've, I've yeah, looked at mine. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Too many scrolls. That's a lot of Bill O'Reilly books ago you know <laughs> killing Mussolini Man, dad, killing Hitler my dad, <laughs> yeah killing Lincoln was there one called killing Lincoln or yeah. 
okay. I think my dad had one of those back in the day. He was like, man, you should read this, man. I'm like, no, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The parent book recommendations are always, always fun. Parents are fun because it's it's like there's, they'll never, maybe some do, but a lot seem to, especially for (laughs) us who grew up in Christianity, they never lose that feeling of like they needing to like speak truth into your life. Like you can't just be pals oh, yeah. Give you some so easily. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, let me tell you, you should read this book. It's like, mm, I'm on my own path now. I appreciate everything you've done for me, but. <laughs> taken in any new information dad, in yeah. two decades. <laughs> if I had taken all my dad's advice, I would have only, yeah, I would read, I would have read those kind of books and bought all my shoes from Kohl's. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> be rocking the white new balances yeah there's always something just a little different about the ones you buy from Coles and the ones <laughs> I, i'm telling you man i know it i know it. it's the truth something they don't make them the same way something is just not the same <laughs> so i'll never buy a pair of vans from from Coles, man don't do it Sorry. All right. By, by direct. I buy straight from Van's website. I had this cool thing happen to me. Yeah. Uh, so I've always been that guy who just has one pair of shoes and wears it until they're ruined and then still takes too long to buy another new pair of shoes. And oh yeah, something yeah. about turning 35 made me feel like I need to change some of my ways and maybe like have more Back than problems? two pairs of, yeah, maybe. <laughs> so I got orthopedic shoes is where this is going. No. Oh, um, sick. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I should get the inserts. Some Dr. Scholl's, those motherfuckers would probably make me feel a little better. But um, yeah, they probably would. I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna upgrade. I'm gonna buy a new pair of shoes. I found this pair of shoes on Van's website that I loved. I was like, these are the sickest fucking shoes I've ever seen in my life. Add to cart, buy. I get an email. Order was canceled. That doesn't make sense. So I Dang go back it. in. I order again. It goes through. And then next morning I wake up to an email that my order was canceled. And I, then I got it. Then they sent me a coupon for 50% off your entire order and free shipping. So I bought four pairs of shoes and I'm like, I've never owned more than one pair of shoes, but I got four pairs of shoes for like a hundred bucks. It was 120 bucks, something like that. And it was, yeah. uh, uh, that was a pivotal, pivotal moment in my life so that was a touchstone that's kind of serious i had to say yeah. that I, talking about vans yeah it's kind of sick <laughs> I, I not to not to one-up you man my brother-in-law works for the company that owns oh. vans and oh. so i get 50 off on everything that's awesome <laughs> personal point of privilege Kenny. personal point of privilege <laughs> Kenny, if you're listening, i love you dog <laughs> i do feel like they like if you wear them excessively they last like a year and then they start getting a little wrecked though ah uh, you gotta get the oh, mte yeah, yeah. ultra range that's the van yeah show. those are nice we need that van sponsorship after this um, dude i'll take it <laughs> you I'm, I'm gonna take a pivot in this uh question might fall flat but you mentioned being a tobacco town uh did you work on a tobacco farm and did you start smoking cigarettes at 13 years old straight up divine uh, i worked i worked on a farm but i worked in uh the little dog pits the, the guy who owned the farm he raised dogs but i also fed the donkeys and worked on like kind of maintaining the barn like the barn roof and um had a bunch of projects 
shoveling gravel, you know, doing the driveways, doing the lots. Uh, did you wear and, proper gear when working on the roof or did you just like free go? No, I was a little, yeah. no shirt, <laughs> shorts, <laughs> pair of boots, uh, 45 degree I, I incline, tried... no anchor. Hell yeah. Oh dude. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> um, so actually what's crazy is there's a field like, uh, Oh, it's this way. It's this way. So dusty from beloved, his grandpa owned this massive tobacco field out this way. He owned tobacco all over this town. Um, it, uh, Lewis dollar height, uh, shout out to dusty. I love you, man. Um, yeah, his his grandfather owned all of that at one time. Um, massive plots of land and, and farm tobacco all over wow. all over this town. Um, but I tried cigarettes at an eighth grade sleepover, um, and we went out into the woods across the across <laughs> the street from the house, and it was dark. You know, we went out like eleven p.m. and we're all huddled around, and everybody's got their cigarette. And I went and put the cigarette in my mouth and had the lighter going. And they were like, just, you just inhale, you inhale. And so I was like, okay. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to get it lit. And I yeah. inhaled and then all this tobacco went straight down my throat. And I, uh. had, I had my mouth on the, on the wrong end of the cigarette. And I was trying to light <laughs> the filter. <laughs> and so that was, that's awesome. You know, that went down in the books. Uh, <laughs> so that was my first experience. And I, try, I smoked some cigarettes at the bus stop. But when I found like straight edge and all that kind of stuff, man, I was like, this is for me. I, I, yeah. I want to do that. You know, now I, punch I was already people watching smoke cigarettes. <laughs> That's right. No, I, man, I, this, this uh, straight edge kid moved to town when I was in the 12th grade. And, you know, I, I, he was wearing a straight edge varsity coat like lettered letterman's jacket with a big x in the front you did not see that in kernersville and so i saw him right away and i wasn't even straight edge yet and i was like dude you're straight edge come eat lunch with us and uh and then this guy who was kind of like the town metalhead but he was like a pothead and he fought also so he was a pothead a metalhead and he liked to fight people he'd get in fights with everybody um <laughs> He saw Chris, the straight edge kid, sitting at the lunch table with a big X jacket on and straight edge across the back. And he walked up to the lunch table and I knew James. And I was like, so James is the is the pothead. Chris is the straight edge kid. And he walked right up to the table. and He was like, hey, you want to fight me? I smoke weed. And Chris, Chris was like looking at him like, huh? No, man, I, I, I don't want to fight. And and I'm like. James, go away, man. I'm like, I'm like, it's like your little annoying, like neighborhood kid. You're just trying yeah. to push him off and you know, he won't hit you, but he's trying to hit the guy behind you. And like, <laughs> yeah, I remember those, those moments of everybody's like, dude, you know, the straight edge kids in Salt Lake, like they beat up everybody. And I know some of those guys and uh, they, they did beat the crap out of some people. Uh, <laughs> I, lo I love you guys. I love Salt Lake. Um, it's just so funny respect, man. respect to all those dudes but that's that's yeah it's a real thing but it's also a funny thing because it does get blown so far out of proportion so far out of proportion oh yeah we used to hear stories about the, like we were so far removed from any of that like real intense 
like hardcore scene stuff anywhere that I lived ever. Yeah. But <laughs> you would hear stories about like, like, yeah, they saw this guy smoking. And so they jumped him after the show and blah, 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 blah. There's <laughs> always something like that. I know. There's nothing better than like... third hand fight stories. Yeah. They're the only thing worse than first hand fight stories. <laughs> I remember kids in my youth group being like, uh, Bane would come around. They're like, you don't want to be caught smoking cigarettes outside of a Bane show. I'll tell you what. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's it. That's okay. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not even the smoking section. Crazy. Uh, it's, I dude straight edge was awesome because I was like a kind of afraid to like, I wasn't a rule breaker at all. I was like a very straight laced kid. So even when I like wanted to like try fucking around with that stuff, I was like scared to like something awful might happen. Um, yeah. And then um, straight edge gave me an excuse. Like it gave everyone in that scene an excuse to not have the peer pressure to get involved. Like, if you were just like, yeah, I'm straight edge, people are like, oh, okay, no problem. Like there was no, there really wasn't a lot of peer pressure to do stuff you didn't want to do. <laughs> for yeah, me, for me. Yeah, I, you're right. I might you're be, right. I, and it saved me from just feeling like I had to go along with shit. It gave me like something else other than just feeling yeah. like the dorky person who's like, oh, I'm a Christian. So I can't, it's like, nah, I'm just straight edge. And they're like, <laughs> it, oh, it upped your gotcha. tough points too. Like you paint uh, the X's on your fingers. That's like open carrying, you know, <laughs> that's like two years of Krav Maga. If you like paint the X's on your fingers. Yeah. I was going to say, it's like oh, yeah. people who tell you they they had to register their fists as a deadly weapon because they got a black belt in Taekwondo. You're like, okay, pal. <laughs> My sensei taught me news that are like illegal that, in the state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were they doing roundhouse kicks in the pit at uh, beloved shows or advent shows? Oh yeah, heck yeah! I used to do roundhouse yeah. kicks, man. I was looking for it. <laughs> uh, all right, all right, so you um, you said after high school is when you like kind of started the whole tour and like took off touring, uh, kind of mm -hmm. got more heavily invested in, into that. Um, throughout like playing music. Uh, and going out on tour was that like were there points at where like where you felt like you were your faith was really like really challenged or um it was tough to like maintain what you would have felt like would have been like your level of like faith integrity just because of like the people around or the people you're on tour with or anything like that Dude, I literally, I just had this conversation on Sunday night with a kid in the youth group. So, um, but yeah, I, iron sharpens iron. I think that's a true statement, whether you want to apply it in a scriptural, biblical sense, or just a piece of wisdom that anyone can live by. You get around people who are not just of like mind, but who really have something to offer and you're willing to, for your life to rub up against theirs in a way and stay around them long enough, you become sharp just like they are. And so, um, I, you know, the guys in beloved, there was Josh, our singer. He's a couple years younger than all of us. There was Matt, our guitar player, Dusty, our other guitar player and all the, all three of those guys play guitar. There's Johnny Longarms and myself and Johnny 
and Matt and I, we went from beloved to advent. And so um, there's all those guys have things that, you know, ways in which they live their life by that I respect each one of them for the, the relationship that probably impacted me the, the most as far as like my having spiritual conversations with someone on a daily basis was, was, and is Johnny, you know, and, and, and Dusty and, uh, and Matt and Josh, you know, Josh, but Johnny, um, dude, I, I think we just, we gravitated towards each other somehow once he joined the band in 2002. And, um, even before him, a guy named Mitch Britt, you know, before that, um, but they're all some of my best friends, but him and I just kind of clicked and, and we made it a thing, man. Like we go, we go together and we go places. We didn't put ourselves in any kind of weird scenarios that things could just get dicey. And, um, he always stood up for me and he called me out on my crap if I needed to be called out. And, um, we just, stuck together man and i think that's a biblical thing you know like we're meant to live life together that's what the church is is a community of people that that are happy one day and they cry together the next they meet together and they talk about spiritual things but they also break bread and both of those are in fact deeply spiritual and so um you do that with someone on the road long enough and you become like them they become like you and you walk down a path together and Johnny and I, 21 years later, you know, he lives a mile that way back behind my house. Uh, That's sick, man. We're, That's we're, really cool. We're still doing that friendship it. like we're, that. Yeah, we're still doing it. So, um, you know, and with, you know, Johnny or uh, Jordan and, and Mike and Advent, you know, and Jay that was in the almost with me and Dusty, we were in almost together. We just we were there for each other, man. I think, I think friendship is one of the biggest parts about my faith that actually kept me intact was having such good friends and believers that would call me out on my crap if I needed to be. To be able to open yourself up. It's funny. Cause I, uh, I feel like for every story there is that that goes well, there's a story in which that can go like goes awry too, because someone's like on their high horse or something like that about shit. So like the fact that like, you were able to do that together for that long and that you're still close friends is like, that's a special friendship, man. That's not like, that's not like shitty, like youth group accountability partner nonsense that gets fucked up. Like that is a real thing that is, I, I feel like I have a lot of friends still from when I was in high school, uh, or I shouldn't say a lot. I have a couple friends from when I was in high school and, uh, there's just a lot of people who don't <laughs> and it's like yeah yeah there's some challenge i mean there's times where you just like get on each other's nerves or something like that but i feel like um but a lot of my friends it's not, we weren't like on each other we weren't we never had that level of like commitment of like that level <laughs> oh, let's let's hold each other accountable for this or that you just kind of you just stay friends and everyone just did whatever they did but that's a unique experience i think your experience that you're talking about is um is unique i feel like not a lot of people have that and that's a special friend man oh yeah here 
You guys had a yeah, Jonathan dude, I, and David I, thing going. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I, I, I did joke. not. That was a joke. I know. I didn't realize until recently uh, that you were doing drums in the Almost. Uh, the Almost was a band that wasn't so much on my radar, but that's cool. I had no idea that um, you're like you've kind of been in and out of like several bands over the years. That um, was has was music a uh, from Advent through like through I guess the Almost um, the Almost. You were in that till like I think was that twenty fifteen, and then Advent that went to like twenty eleven. Was music a full time uh, gig for you, or were you working stuff on the side too? So, with um, I just tried to turn on a lamp, and the bulb just busted. I think no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, with uh, Beloved, we did. I've always had side jobs, dude. I, I still have side jobs now. Yeah. Um, I teach drum lessons now and um, I mow yards and do other like landscaping stuff on the side. I'll do anything just to make a little bit of extra walking around money. But um, uh, that's what it's called, by the way, walking around money. Have a have a hundred dollar bill in your in your wallet at all times. That's like the goal. Yeah. I haven't achieved it yet. But um but yeah, I, I, uh, I think I did it full time. I could have done it full time. I just always wanted to stay busy. So in between tours, I would go to the drum shop, mm -hmm. work on drum repairs or sell drums or, you know, do drum lessons and do private lessons with people. And that was during the advent almost years. But with beloved, I worked at, I worked at the gap. Um, and at a car wash, uh, <laughs> nice and, 50% uh, off blouses, huh? <laughs> oh, dude. One and polos. Did you wear, were you wearing a lot of polos at that stage of life? <laughs> no, I was wearing like turtlenecks and stuff. I was like the Juliana theory meets, um, turnstile you know, poison the well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's wow. bringing turtlenecks back, it's turnstile. Man, hopefully they do. Somebody needs to do it. You just do like a little uh, chin strap that connects your your uh, <laughs> turtleneck straight to your bucket hat. Yes, that'd be sick. It's like a sock guard for your head. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully one of them will hear this and and do the turtleneck thing. Man, I don't know. So, <laughs> shout out turnstile. <laughs> All right, I, I have a question for you, and this may just be more my experience. Uh, in church and stuff like that. So yeah, my pastor growing up, like the main pastor that I had was like the best dude. Love the guy. I haven't talked to him much in a long time, but he was just like a great, great dude. The other pastors that I ran into, not so much. I mean, they weren't bad guys. There was just like, the first pastor, you know, he really like had a relationship with the people in the church and he invested in yeah. people and stuff like that. The other pastors that I had were a little reclusive. They were kind of like 
mostly just involved with their family and they didn't seem to really want to get out and fraternize with the congregation much. They kind of made it seem a little like a nuisance if they had to. Yeah. Is, is, is that a, okay. Cause there's, I'm in sales. There's traps that you fall into as a sales rep. And, uh, and that's okay. most of what ruins people in that job. You know, is that a trap that like kind of reclusive, hermit that comes out on Sunday and Wednesday and like why is it that people fall into that because it seems like it kind of that's losing sight of really like what your role is in the community that you talked about dude you're on it tonight with the good stuff (laughs) I'm not going to be able to get my head out the door here (laughs) I think I think that um here's here's here is a truth is that okay you you obviously both know i believe in god i believe that god picks people that other people wouldn't pick a lot of times for things that they greg luck for example yes what a great what a great we recently spent an wow. hour and a half making fun of Greg Locke. So yeah, our last episode was yeah an hour and a half of us. I still just got the clips queued up. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, um, but God, I think God picks people, and that's the that's the narrative of Scripture. Is like if you really look at the people that you know the stories were being told about, you know, there a lot of them are failures, or a lot of them um, are really screw up and have big consequential moments of their life that could have gone one way or the other, but by the grace of God, that's kind of how the, you know, the story has a turnaround when it comes to pastoring. I think that, I think that sometimes we're really good at picking out who should be a pastor. Um, We feel that way. Personally, I believe that pastors should be people who feel called to people two people and they shouldn't um i think you have a you have a decision to make you can feel called but you can also make a decision like hey man i really hate people maybe i shouldn't do this but it's weird because there are a lot of people who pastor that are predisposed that type of personality or or whatever that might be i don't know if that's a personality um but that i have friends that i work with that they're like dude it's like for me it's not easy to be here all the time because i want to go and run and hide in my cave but i i put i put i have to put a coat like a a new thing on to come in here and and give all of my energy to the people and i think that is what separates you know a good pastor from a, maybe a pastor that's not a great pastor is one who's willing to do the things that are hard for them rather than just the ones who want to do what they want to do you know um and so your experience of like i met a good pastor who you know was relational and was approachable and knew people's names and was involved in people's lives versus the other ones, the stinkers that you met that 
just kind of hide and don't want anything to do with the people. And it seems like it's like the last thing they might want to do. Maybe they should, maybe they should think about it. That's the way I feel, but I love people. Um, but I also run out of energy for people too. And I think that's where, I think that's where I have the opportunity to step up and be a real leader is when I'm done is I, not that I'm faking or pretending, but I'm deciding to be about people when I've run out of all my energy. I think that's what a good pastor, you know, can decide to do. So, um, it's, it's funny. Cause that's like what I usually tell. I'll tell guys that in relation to sales is like the difference between somebody who does really well at this job and somebody who will eventually have to find something else to do is like, a person who's going to be good at it continually gets up every day and makes himself do the thing that they don't want to do. And yeah. it kind of applies to everything, but it, like, I think it does. Everybody's got different uh, things that they struggle with like that. What, what is hard for you about being a pastor? Um, man, my stuff is so stupid. Um, I'm so like, I am the least qualified. You're both probably more qualified to be pastors. than I, I did am get on, a biblical on... studies degree from Liberty. So watch out. Cause there I might go. be coming Sam's for your job pastor. soon. <laughs> there you go. I, I still have yet to get my first plaque on the wall. Um, working on it, you know, um, very slowly, but, um, I, uh, what was your question? I'm, I'm about to, I'm about what, to go down a rabbit trail. If you don't what, what, what's hard me. for you that you have to make yourself okay. do? Yeah. Um, dude, for me, like if I can be really stupid about it, like I love the people part. It's the administrative part, but the administration of the administration of the church is so important because people need to feel connected and reached out to and checked up on and, and so, like, dude, I have a hard time sending emails. I get apprehensive over just sending one email. Like, I just, I was, I was apprehensive about texting uh, Sam earlier tonight on the, you know, the, the Instagram. <laughs> He's like, "Hey, man, I'm having a hard time finding this. I didn't want to look like an idiot yet." But I was like, "You know what? I'm just going to do this <laughs> so, that, so that I could be set up for this podcast." But, um, you know, I, I. Uh, Really right now, man, I feel so fresh and so young in this because I kind of came back and the church is in such a healthy place. Our leadership is in such a healthy place. We have an amazing uh, pastor and his and his wife, and uh, they really do everything they can to make not just me feel like I'm a part of it, but the person at the very back of the room. And so it's when you're in like a really good when you're in a really good scenario and everything is just, you're just like, I feel like I'm floating some days. Um, I feel like I'm high, like I'm high on Jesus, bro. I'm high, so high that it's hard for me to think about the things that are hard, but the things that are hard for me are the things that other people are like, man, you are, you need, you need help, bro. You're a little, <laughs> You know, something something's off because I like I can't send emails. I can't remember meetings. I can't. I'm just I'm like a I chase butterflies sometimes, man. So um, maybe too often. But how did the, I love the people side? I love the study side. 
I love ministering to people. Yeah, that's, that's I love that part, but uh, administration is hard. So you're you're getting a you're in school right now for like seminary or something like that. Yeah, my well, first off, I need to, I need to be credentialed in my actual denomination. So in the AG, they want every pastor to actually have, uh, you know, um, credentials in the denomination. So that's what I'm pursuing right now. If that wasn't the case, would you feel it was important for you to get that? Oh, dude, I mean, probably, probably not in my own, in my own thinking, no. But having a leader that has kind of helped me to, you know, uh, shift my perspective a little bit, you know, it's, it's helped me, you know, and I, I don't know everything, dude. So, um, I wish I honestly had a, you know, a bachelor's and, a you know, and then went to seminary and had a divinity, went to divinity school and all this stuff. I wish that I had done that, but I was too busy freaking moshing, bro. <laughs> That's like saying, I wish I was a little more unbearable. <laughs> Is there, um, okay, so it's AG, so you're still with Assemblies of God. Is there anything that you have to, um, so I, is it, okay, forget. I was going to rabbit trail. Uh, so I'm just going to ask you, is there anything that you have to sign off on publicly that you don't personally agree with? And it, can you even mention that, I guess, because you'd be outing yourself as disagreeing with it on a podcast, I guess. But I feel like that can be the case with like Southern Baptists. Like, oh, I'm, I got a job at a Southern Baptist church. I have to sign this. I have to reinforce gotta, these you beliefs. You got to agree to keep quiet. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, yeah my indie. What is it? Is it called an NDA? Yeah. yeah, yeah they made you sign an NDA. <laughs> no, I'm not, no. no. Sign I'd a, a like, non-compete whoa, whoa, whoa. clause. You can never work at another <laughs> church again. No, but is there like the, cause I mean, that's churches are set up in a very structured sense, especially a denomination yeah, yeah. like AG. So you're signing, I mean, you're, you're signing in their statement of faith. Is there anything where you're just like, that's tough for you to, yeah. to sign off on? Hmm. I'll let I, you I reread so, it and actually. get back to me. No. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think so. I'm actually that one of the courses that I'm, that I'm supposed to be taking is, like a course where I go through all of those, those fundamentals of the yeah. AG church and, you know, learn all those, but I'm not there yet, but um, I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm still here after 40, you know, yeah. 40 years. Not a lot of surprises church. left, I guess. It's yeah. Just, it's the yeah. same one that you were at as a kid. It's the same church. That's wild, yeah. man. Same town, same church. You're, you're an anomaly. That's for sure. Uh, how'd the pastor thing come about? How'd that, um, introduce it? How'd that come your way? And was it like an apprehension um, to it at first? Did you have a resistance to that idea at all? I, um, I guess I was just there like playing drums. Can y'all still hear me? Yeah. Yep. These were, these were fully charged. <laughs> and this one, this one's the only one going right now. Um, Oops. but I, uh, I, you know, was just on the worship team and, um, I guess I just, oh, the almost ended, the almost ended. I took a job at a rebar shop, 
like the almost ended on a Friday. That next Monday, I was working at a rebar shop in uh, in Winston because I was like, I was just doing, you know, music at that point, um, touring and stuff, you know, and uh, that ended because Aaron took a job playing for Paramore, you know, making making dollars and you know being a big boy. So yeah, um, that was a good move. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a good move. Um, They're doing all right these days. Doing all right, I guess. And uh, so that was a Friday. I run into the guy who owns the rebar shop on Mon or on Sunday at church, and then by Monday, um, I was working at his shop. And over the course of that year that I worked there, close to a year, um you know, that business was being sold and transitioned and all this kind of stuff. And I was more involved with like, uh, you know, volunteer leadership. And I was just friends with the, you know, the people on staff and my job pretty much ended. They came in the office and they were like, listen, the company that was buying us, they were like, some of you are going to lose your jobs. And I was like, Hey, can it just be me? (laughs) (laughs) I'll, I'll step out. And sure enough, literally the at by the end of the day, um I was in conversation with, you know, starting the church. So and so I started as like just fixing holes in walls and wrapping up microphone cables and uh cleaning toilets and whatever they needed to be done. And in about six months I was the middle school pastor. So um but I think from the time I was a kid, my you know, my parents would ask me, like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to be a pastor, you know. <laughs> so it was I don't remember a lot of those sayings that I, you know, but my mom, my mom and dad would tell me, you know, tell me that kind of stuff. And uh, so sure enough, yeah, in 2015, I started that in like uh, August of August of 2015 and did that until 2022 mowed yards for a year and now i'm back so (laughs) mowing lawns just didn't compare to the glory of middle schoolers middle school is rough man that that takes a personality type because middle schoolers are tough i was uh when i went back to school for counseling to work in a school uh middle school is pretty much the only grade level that's completely off the table for me yeah (laughs) um so yeah i was doing middle school now i'm doing young adults which is like 30 all the way down to middle school okay so young adults college high school middle school so i'm in charge of all of that it's not all going yet. Um, <laughs> the, the the lead pastor is like, dude, don't try to get all this going. And like, let's take a year and like kind of yeah, ramp it up incrementally, get things going instead of you like feeling like you got to get this thing. You know, ninety days is not is not even realistic in in and of itself. So you'd be on um, ten Bible studies a week uh, on that trajectory. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't handle that. So, but dude, I've got 
this is this is what's crazy is like we have you know our church went from we're like a 2000 seat church that's a that's a big room it's like one of those kind of like arena looking churches built in like the late 80s but barely finished not up to code you know the the guy who designed it you know he's one of those like he starts building it and then he gets the heck out of town and changes his name. And, you know, the church is like, huh, what's going on? You know, like, and so they just did the best they could to like finish everything up and like, you know, go up into the catwalk on this 40 foot ceiling. And it just in the middle of the catwalk, it just ends and there's nothing there. And you're like, Whoa, that's <laughs> when the construction ended. That's, that's when the construction unreal. ended. Like, so all kinds of, all kinds of really interesting stuff, but amazing church. But we went from, you know, thousands of people in the, in the eighties and nineties to, you know, probably a thousand, fifteen hundred people down to the time by COVID hit and the fallout there in 2021, there was probably 250 people on a Sunday morning. Oh, wow. And now, you know, new pastor comes in, um, you know, uh, and people are, it's like people are, and this is what happens when you bring a personality into the room and he's a, he's a huge personality, but is also a fantastic leader and a great human being, um, great pastor. He's a, he's a pastor of the people. Um, and you know, our church is now infused with, we've got 400 people volunteering and, and starting up ministries and doing things that they feel called to do. And, you know, so we went from like, you know, 15 people available to help the church run, you know, on like a shoestring thing to, you know, you've got more volunteers than some people have at their entire church, you know, um, making, you know, making life happen. And, um, and it's just, it's just healthy. It's great, man. So, um, super super thankful for that but that's cool man yeah can i hit you some with a uh a rough one so hit me with hit me with the rough ones so we're kind of in that uh that realm of people who grew up in church and stuff and have just sort of drifted out over time Yeah. yeah it's obviously a pretty healthy contingent in the uh in the u.s there's kind of a a thing going on, right? Yeah, for sure. Why do you think that is? (laughs) Man. Um, You know, there's, I think there's spiritual, there's, there's a spirit of the age or spirit, spiritual undertones, all this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I think the way that we – how old are you? So you're you are 35, Sam. How old yep. are you, Casey? 36. Okay, so we're all in the same – really the same generation of like the way we went to church yep. had to have been similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it, so I think the way we grew up, the performance-based light show – church and man we got we have lights at our church we have we have a screen at our church but the 
the but the way that the American church gravitated towards um the facade uh and just putting up beautiful leaders in front of people and making it look like if you follow Jesus, your life will be a okay. You'll never experience pain, suffering. What's that? You know, like um, that kind of theology dominated church culture for so long. And I think, you know, there was, there was an underground rumble for probably 10 to 12 years of, you know, the, what's the, what's the, there's a word and it's escaping me right now. The deconstructing thing. Oh yeah. I was going on tours with guys who were deconstructing, you know, back in the early two thousands. And, you know, so that was happening at some level, but then, but then the world experiences something together. Um, you know, like COVID, you've got COVID happening and then you've got TV preachers who are making a mockery of everything and, and making these predictions about political figures and this and that. And I think everything that was happening under the surface for people where they're like, man, I don't know, this just doesn't feel like it did when I was a kid. And I saw, and my pastor did this and our church fell apart because he made this decision or he had sex with this woman behind his wife's back. And, and, and you've got all these life experiences for believers our age and then COVID hits. And then, um, and I'm not saying this is, this is how it happened for everyone, but this, I think, I think it's come into light more, more and more, you know, um, with with the advent of social media, all of this combined, man, I think people are just um, I think we're all just processing out loud. I think we're just processing out loud the way that we felt for you know fifteen years for ten years the the doubts that you may have had the um, the hurts that may have been there um, and I don't think any of these are unfounded. Um, but obviously my perspective would be different from you guys. Um, and I have, t- I have tons of friends on the, on the spectrum from where you're at to where I'm at to where someone way down the road is at. Um, uh, but I think, I think we just got hurt and we didn't know how to get up as, as the American church. And we heard a lot of people and um, we stayed quiet on a lot of things and I'm not talking about political issues and I'm not, I'm, I'm, um, we got, I think we got way too involved in political idolatry. Um, and I think that just, that was just the, you know, that was the last, the last hit that it took, the last chop of the tree for a lot of people. The yeah, critical idolatry you know? is a good way to put it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that was the final people. Some people will cite that as the problem. I th- that was escalating for years, and I think there was problems stemming from that in the '90s, also. But the yeah. past six, seven, eight years—that's that was feels like the final nail in the coffin. For I, a- I think I am. I am. I'm 
pretty, and and I'm actually probably I'm I'm not risking anything, but I I'm pretty apolitical, um just just in general that's the way I've always felt. But I have tons of friends who are very political, and their faith is very tied up in their politics. And we're still we're we're friends, and they see things differently than me. And um, you know I have lots of people who have actually told me that I'm wrong for being apolitical. You can't be an apolitical Christian. You have to be one way and not the other. But, you know, our church is made up of, um, our church is a very di- diverse church in a, in a lot of ways. And we're made up of a lot of different kinds of people and types of people and people who speak different languages and people who come from different neighborhoods. And and so just in our little church alone, you know, it's, it's, um, we are diverse yet unified on on Christ, and I think the church in America is just so split up, broken down. Um, you know, has kind of lost its power and lost its voice and culture because it gave it up. Um, uh, and hypocrisy helped it to give up its own voice. You know, hypocrisy will steal your voice out of people's ear really quick. So, um, I think, I think cult. Our culture in America now is just so so. We're all so skeptical of everything that, dude. The moment somebody screws up, we label them. They're done, and the church has got to be a lot wiser with the way it it you know positions itself in in the world. Um, not in a manipulative way, but in truly a wise way of like, um, you know, fearing God. Um, fearing God first, living living properly amongst, um, you know, itself, the church, and living properly amongst its neighbors. I think it would be a, in a different place if it had done that for the last twenty years. But more of a yeah. Lockean stance, a Greg Lockean stance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to put it in. You mentioned people getting hurt and not yeah. being able to get back up, and then just kind of the the church culture that we were sold of like what God will do. Yeah. Or how, what, and I think I think there's a lot. Of, I agree there a lot. I think we were kind of sold a bill of goods that the church or Christianity couldn't really deliver on, which just resulted in it was like a, it was very it was like a transactional type faith. It's like if you have your faith in this, and it, I I didn't grow up in prosperity gospel, but that leaks its way into everything. You're not there, no one's promising me money oh, yeah. or anything like that, but they are promising you like a successful life, a happy marriage they're just promising you a lot of things uh on arbitrary stances like having faith in god and you're like but what does that look like how is that and then they might they might have a one for one on that like for a biblical marriage and then people follow those rules and their marriage falls apart because that was your church's perspective on it and not really uh you know you're not really there's other perspectives that might result in uh something healthier and but what what i think you're probably, I, I don't know. I feel like what's common though is like, uh, people left, um, because of these things, uh, and they found, and I think so, like you mentioned, social media provides like that community, like people found a community of people who went through similar things. Heck, that's why we're doing this. I mean, I think it's just fun to talk to people who have various experiences, uh, regardless of where they end up. There is a, there's camaraderie and, and, in this shared life of growing up Christian, because it is yeah. unique. Um, and if people didn't, it's hard for them to really understand 
what that looked like for some people. Um, so, so I honestly, I think this is like the, one of the best pictures of what happened is like, when I think about the most overused scripture in all of like Christianity in America, one of not the, um, and one of the most out of context scriptures used, um, I think about, I know y'all going to know this Philippians four thirteen. This is a picture of what the American church did for so long. Philippians four thirteen says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Yeah. <laughs> and we took that and we were like, man, I can slam dunk basketballs because Christ gives me strength. I can outsell. I can outsell Terry over here at the car lot and win that Lamborghini because Jesus gives me strength. I can have a successful this and that and the other because Jesus gives me strength. But what we did is we took that out of context and we took our faith so far out of context that we forgot that Paul is actually, this is a prison epistle. He was writing this from prison. And if you, if you take that verse out of context and you, and you consider what the church offered people for so long, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be able to do whatever you want and get whatever you want. You know why? Because it's Christ who gives you strength. You can, But you put it back into context, and it says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present sufferings. That's the context of Scripture. That's what the real context of faith is. And yet, I think when people were given the happy, bubbly, um, pop version of Jesus, when life came and knocked on the front door, and it was, oh, your mother has cancer. Oh, you lo- you, you've never been able to get the job that you were promised because you went to four years of college. Oh, your best friend was killed in a car accident. Oh, like that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like what, what we were sold. But what, what the scriptures are telling us is vastly different is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what are those all things? I can survive when there's pain and suffering because Christ is within me helping me through those difficult times. Oh, I can survive when I have barely anything to eat. Oh, I'm shackled in prison writing this letter to you. That's, you know, that's like, that's the actual context of the the story there. And, and, and we did it wrong. I think for a while, you know, who could have used that verse? God, if only he had a time machine, Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Dude, put he the can, bed sheets down. You can make it through your term. You could serve you this can sentence. Make it. Come on. I mean, <laughs> come on, a, Jeff. Another that's like that. I was thinking because uh, another verse that's often you know that's often quoted that doesn't you know it, it's out of context. Uh, I thought you might have been going with uh, Leviticus twenty uh, fifteen to sixteen, 
And it says, if a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death and he shall kill the animal. And if a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. You pig. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And I think that's also where we've gone wrong too, you know, just out of context, just yes. ripping that verse. Uh, so out of context, similar man. feelings we have yeah. here. I have, I have one more. Ugly yeah, I'm question. glad that I'm glad that we line up on a few things. We yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh one one last uh one last serious question. So you said you're you're pretty apolitical. Um Yeah. You talked about political, you know, political idolatry is a part of what's led the church astray. We've talked about that a lot on this show because you know, a lot of us uh grew up in families that you know, if you said, hey, what, what, you know, give me a list of your priorities in life. And they'd say, well, it's, it's God first, you know, then it's my wife, then it's my kids. And I try to keep things in that order, which is fine. Right. Very little conversation or talk or, or sharing about faith and stuff like that outside of the church building. But yeah, they have like this, just, I mean, you know, there's, I, I grew up, you know, for my house, I mean, Fox news is on every night. That's what the conversations at the dinner table are about. That's what everything. I mean, like there's so many people in the U S especially that like, will tell you up and down that like God is first in their life. But like what they talk about, what they're passionate about is just like this political turmoil. That's just ongoing and just seems to like never go away in the U S you're an apolitical guy that wants to invest in people and you want to make that the center of your ministry at your church and stuff like that. I have to imagine that you have people constantly trying to drag that stuff into the church and make it a focal point. Oh, yeah, yeah. How do you, yeah, how yeah, do you deal with that? You got to pastor everybody. You got to pastor the Republicans. And I have plenty of really good friends who are Republicans. Like I said, their faith and their politics, they're interwoven to a, to a certain level. And I, on a, you know, I respect it to a certain level. And and, uh, then I have people who are, we have Republicans at our church. We have Democrats at our church. We have Libertarian, libertarians, or is that what they are? You don't yeah, have to. The worst libertarian yeah. is that the same thing? <laughs> They're the don't tread on me, we but have... you can also put on this pair of high heels and stomp on my balls. There, that's yeah. their political <laughs> affiliation. <laughs> I refuse to have a driver's those. license. It's not because the state <laughs> took it. Yeah, <laughs> and DUIs are just um, pieces of paper. <laughs> uh, we have all. We have all of the people. And so my job is to pastor everybody if they'll allow me to. I'm, I don't get to pastor anyone who doesn't want to be pastored by me. And our our head pastor doesn't get to pastor anyone if they if they if they reject his um, leadership in their life. So that's fine. You know, uh, they can come and sit, and hopefully they'll hear, hear something that challenges them and changes maybe the way they think. Or, um, but you know, politics is not going to be what I'm going to focus on. Um, and I'm not going to try and convince people not to care about politics, but I am going to try and convince them to care about something else first. 
Um, so, but I'm, I'm okay with, with people who try to drag me into things because I'm equally going to try and drag them, you know, in a direction <laughs> that I think, that I think their life needs to go to. So we'll just see who wins in the end. <laughs> there we go. I just Talk remember more, like, uh, one of the last like Sunday school classes I went to at my, that my church that I grew up in, you know, uh, it was like an all ages one. Cause I had outgrown the, you know, the young people's class. And I remember like going and sitting in this classroom and it's, it's everybody. It's like people my age, it's senior citizens, it's yeah. everybody. Yeah. And I remember like this old man in the front row and he like, he made multiple attempts to like completely commandeer this class by, by, by because he was like so fired up about people only using King James, like he just totally derailed the point. Oh, and he'd yeah, be like, yeah. you know, the problem that we've got today is that there's these people with all these other translations, and his he's got one of my favorite quotes of all time from church. He was like, he's like, I'll tell you what, King James, if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> And then my pastor, so like, good. trying to explain to him, like, well, you know, uh, the, the the Bible's been translated a bunch of times to get to pastor, what you're holding. You Paul got in it. How do you think Paul got in it if he already had it? It's pretty good. It takes a real level it's of cognitive super meta dissonance. stuff. Yeah. Dude, that is, that's good. I like that. Uh, before, before we uh, let you go, Joe, uh, Thanks for being so generous with your time. Um, what's do yeah. you have stuff on the horizon music? I know you're doing. Uh, you just put out uh, some new music with Ends of Sanity. Um, is uh, now that you're oh, yeah. the the whole uh, pastor role? Do you still have like music on the horizon, or is that kind of put on hold? Yeah. So Advent Advent just recorded four songs, and we're uh, looking to put that out probably sometime in the fall. So, oh hell yeah! Um, it's probably the most um, like the most moshy advent that we've ever written. It's, um, it's not as fast and, you know, blistering as some of the other stuff, or I guess for us, it would be blistering. Um, it's a little bit more like just, it's got some, it's got some balls on it, you know? So nice. Um, Can't wait to hear that. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting, but and we're playing some shows. We're playing some, you know, we're playing Furnace Fest pre-show. Um, and then we're playing a show in North Carolina. And that's pretty much all we've got right now. But we may book a little bit more yeah. later in the year. But um, I'm moving church buildings. We're moving from one building to the other. So um, so we're kind of on like a blackout. You yeah. know? <laughs> uh, so well, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of work. So we'll see. We'll see how the how the schedules all line up. All right. Well, Joe, thanks so much for joining us, man. This was a blast talking Dude, to you. Thanks for thanks for having me. I, I feel so cool that you guys reached out to me for real. I was like, dang. Dude, it's so funny. Talk to me? I was like, it crossed my mind. I, I mean, it's crossed my mind a bunch because I just grew up on Beloved. Um, and then uh, obviously listened to Advent, went to some Advent shows in Lynchburg. It was just like, yeah. And so after start, you know, started the podcast, it's like, it's always crossed my mind. And then I drive all the way down to North Carolina. I'm like, I need to ask this guy to do the podcast, but I'm like, I'm not going to, yeah. he's going to 
uh, there is a weird time to do that. <laughs> I have this podcast. Too. So it's like, all right, we're going to, I'm not going to do be weird about it. Um, but then I was just like, <laughs> you just book stuff out and you book stuff out. And it's like, the, it's so funny. Cause the day that it crossed my mind incidentally was the 20th anniversary of failure on. I like looked at your stories oh, wow. after I messaged you and it was just like you resharing yeah. everyone's like putting this on for the 20th anniversary. Like, oh, that's so cool. Like, uh, it's, I cannot believe yeah. it's 20 years, but, um, yeah, it's been on my mind for a while years. and, uh, uh, super glad we made this work. So thanks a lot, man. Yeah, man. Thank you, Sam. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening and we will see you next time.